Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Welcome to the episode, guys. This is episode 35. Um, starting from this episode, we're going to talk about individual companies. We're going to start analyzing a company, uh, uh, an episode, or actually two com- two episodes, co- analyzing a company per Per two episodes. Yep. Um, today we're gonna we're gonna talk about Skechers. You guys have heard it, heard of it probably most likely. Um, it's a shoe company, and we'll talk. We'll do a deep dive into what this company is all about. We'll follow the checklist that we talked about in the last in the previous episodes. If you haven't if you haven't listened to that episode, please do check it out. Um, it's called the the checklist value investor checklist. I don't know what episode what number it was, but I don't remember either. But uh, be sure to check that out because we're going to follow that template as we analyze Skechers and 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 future companies also. So do do be sure to check that out. And uh, yeah, so let's get started. Okay, so like I said, um, the checklist we're going to follow the checklist, and the the checklist largely isn't you know, answers largely four questions. The first is what is what is the company do, and kind of doing deep dive of the competitive analysis of the company, the moat, etc. So that's the first chunk. The second chunk is talking about its financials. The third chunk is talking about its management. And the lastly, the last chunk is the evaluation of the company. And what we want to do in this episode, episode thirty-five, is to is to talk about the business itself. So the first chunk, the very first chunk, and the following episode. In the following episode, we'll talk about the second, and third, and the fourth chunk. So let's uh, let's do a deep dive into what Skechers' business <clears throat> is about. Oh wait, before before we do that, um, disclaimer. Yeah, so you know, I, I think um, uh, what 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 we're going to be doing here over the next you know however many episodes that we continue to do this is talk about individual companies. Um, you know, in my experience as a as a value investor, I will. I get passionate and I, we talk about companies and then I'll find out later that somebody went and, you know, bought uh, shares in a stock, you know, of something that I talked about and doing so without really any doing any research or any knowledge of what, you know, the company was or, you know, how it worked. They you know just said, oh, he already bought it, so I'm going to buy it too. <laughs> so I, I want to encourage you to never do that. Um, you know, value investing is about is is only investing when you understand the business and understand what you're doing. If you're not, you're speculating. And if you don't remember what those mean, you know, I, I would encourage you to go back to our, you know, one of our first episodes where we talk about what is investing and what is value investing. You know, what we're doing here is teaching you how to analyze businesses and how we analyze businesses using this checklist that may evolve over time uh, and that may change. The purpose of this is for education and for entertainment purposes. It is for you to understand how to analyze a company and to how to think about that analysis. And then to take that and apply it to your own investment decision making. Because here's the the thing about this is that you may get this hot stock tip. If you know nothing about this company, and let's say the stock goes down 10% or it goes up 50%, you, you don't know whether or not to buy or sell, right? Because you have no idea whether it's overvalued or undervalued because you haven't done the analysis. And that's why what we're trying to teach you here is not how to just do it yourself. 
it, or, or just listen to somebody else and then just buy what they say. Because there's plenty of people who are going to give you advice. I'm trying to teach you how to do it so that you can figure it out for yourself. And then, you know, I'm going to teach you how to fish instead of giving you a fish. And what I hope is that over the long run, this becomes a way for you to achieve your own financial freedom that you never have to, you know, you you can always be reliant on yourself uh, to make, you know, good financial decisions. So, Excellent point there, Hari. All right, let's move on to the checklist, shall we? Yeah. Okay. So, Skechers, tell us, uh, we're just going down the checklist. And again, if you don't have the checklist with you, please go ahead and email us at info at valueinvestor.org to get a copy of this because it is so important to have a checklist in front of you as we go down and so you guys can follow along with us. So let's go dive deep into the business section of the checklist. So the question number one is, what is what does the company do? So what does Skechers do? And you should be able to answer this question in less than two sentences. So tell us, Ari, what does Skechers do? So Skechers is a uh, retailer of uh, shoes that sells um, domestically and internationally, uh, and they operate in over 100 countries. And um, in their subcategories of shoes, they are the number one retailer in a number of different areas, including walking, uh, work shoes, casual dress shoes, and uh, casual lifestyle shoes. Um, I don't know how you would technically define all of those categories, what Mm -hmm. falls into what, Um, you know, but I think the the thing that's interesting to me about Skechers is that most people see them as a kind of a low tier, Mm. kind of lower quality brand here in the United States. Um, And that may have been true early on in their, you know, uh, in their uh, infancy. Um, But over the last six or seven years, they have grown immensely internationally and their their business internationally is uh, considered you know a a mid to a high you know premium tier you know shoe uh you know when you when you you were in korea i mean i I think you probably saw sketchers everywhere yeah i can i can speak from my personal experience when you walk around south korea you see sketcher stores all around and sketchers you know has a really uh, like like you said, mid to high tier image over there, and you see you see if you read it in ten k, people talk you know the management talks about the the growth in South Korea, and that kind of speaks to the image there. It's you know it's very robust image. People like it. Um, you know, it's, I think especially here, it's not really popular with like you know people in their twenties and thirties perhaps and forties. Yeah. But over there, people in their twenties, even teens, you know, teens, twenties and thirties, it's it's popular over there. Yeah, and I think the other thing <clears throat> there's a couple of things one about what you just said. So South Korea, I think if you don't know much about it, I mean culturally South Korea kind of leads Southeast Asia in terms of fashion trends, uh music, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um the the Korean culture is, you know, what a lot of other Southeast Asian countries follow like k-pop and other things yeah. i'll also maybe it's a boast but southeast asia but like the entire asia generally speaking i'd say east asia like greater east asia including china yeah 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 and so when when sketchers is popular in korea it's on purpose they're trying to promote that there yeah. because then it means that it's popular in china which they've you know translated that into a, a chinese you know yeah. uh, thing too yeah. um and you know they're doing the sim- similar thing in India, um, where they're just starting out, but trying to expand into that mm-hmm. that market. So, um, <clears throat> you know, 
170 countries is probably surprises a lot of people yeah. because most people don't think of Skechers as an international brand. But the, I think the other thing that people don't realize about them is that they are a work and like, um, so they have memory foam in their shoes. Yeah. If you are working, uh, you know, and you're on your feet all day long, it's a very comfortable shoe to wear. A lot of people look at it, um, you know, from that perspective. So I, what I, when I think of them, I think, you know, people think of sneakers and they think of, you know, uh, certain you know specific types, but they actually cover a lot of different areas, mm. and they're super popular amongst older people. So people in their forties, you know, fifties, sixties, and beyond, um, all wear it because one, it's comfortable, and they t- tend to not have a lot of um, you know they have a lot of brand loyalty. So when they're buying their shoes, which may not be as often as somebody in their twenties, um, they stick to the same brand just because they. You know, yeah. they're they're not. Uh, want to change? Yeah, they're not. Uh, you know, th- once they find something they like, they just kind of stay mm-hmm. with it. So, I also, you talked about the elder, the the senior population, you know, people of sixty, seventy above, people like Skechers, but also at the bimodal yeah. curve because you have you know people in their teens. Yeah, the parents give them Skechers and right. they like it. So it's a, it you know peaks and then kind of trails down downward in their 20s and 30s and then kind of peaks back up. Yeah, and especially very young children yeah. also uh, very popular with young children. Yeah. So um they have the light up shoes and they have right. all the flashy colors and things like yeah. that too. Well, so you you yeah, you're raising a yeah, child now. You, you give her Skechers and I mean it's cheap, it's uh it's easy uh and you know there's always the colors and styles yeah. that she likes. Yeah. So uh, and they have, you know, they have the uh, branded shoes that, you know, yeah. the kids actually seek out. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, not that, you know, kids in their five, you know, when they're five years old really know what brands are. Yeah. But, I mean, they recognize certain things like, yeah. you know, uh, and they lo- the, the, and the colors appeal yeah. to them. And then the light up shoes and that kind of right. stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, <clears throat> I, I think a lot of people don't pay attention to these mm-hmm brands because they think of when they think shoes they think adidas they think nike they think um you know those are the probably the two that come to mind you know top of mind for a lot of people yeah um and then and you know there's these other companies that you know on the west coast that are making stuff um but for the most part sketchers is is a is said we're not going to attack that brand necessarily we're going to go after everybody else and they've done that very well, mm-hmm. and they have a very loyal following yeah. there. I imagine, like I talked about the bi- the bimodal type of curve. Yeah. I imagine if you look at Adidas, for example, or Nike, for example, you're going to see like a more like a bell curve. You have yeah peaks in their 20s and 30s, and it trails off and low. You know, it doesn't really start off. You know, it peaks starting from 20s up, and then kind of trails down. So yeah. it's really targeting the areas that they're not targeting. Yeah. Well, and I, I what the other thing that um Skechers is doing is they're also targeting areas like marathon runners, uh, oh, yeah. golfers. So they have a lot of athletic shoes that are uh, targeted towards specific people. Um you know, we're in Houston, the marathon here was last weekend. Skechers has a huge yeah. booth there. Um I think last year, I don't know about this year, but last year uh someone that they sponsored won the marathon. Um you know they have uh they sponsor golfers who are yeah. winning you know tournaments uh and they have some fairly high high label you know people who are sponsors Camila Cabello and yeah. um I forget the the golfers that they have I think uh, I don't, I don't want to misspeak on which 
you know, this is probably the least important part of yeah. the of yeah. the uh, of who who's sponsoring them. But yeah. for the most part, they don't m- sign the ridiculous deals that you know Nike does, where you know, or Adidas gives James Harden a three hundred million dollar you know ten year contract. They're signing much more modest you know type of deals. But they get a lot more value out of it, I think. Yeah. And I, I think what you'll see as you go through and you analyze this company is they're a lot more v- value-oriented. Like, mm-hmm. they, they spend their money a lot more um, targeted, and, you know, they don't waste it on... I mean, they could easily give James Harden a $300 million contract, but they're not targeting the basketball market, and they're targeting these under-penetrated under, areas. Yeah, underserved, under-penetrated market. Yeah, yeah. so... Exactly. Should we uh, move on to the next checkpoint? Yeah. Uh, which is, does the business have a competitive advantage? Describe them in the category below. The categories are brand, network effect, switching cost, low cost, and lastly, intangible assets. So I, so let me give you just a, a couple more points on the business side yep. to, to, to kind of highlight, because I think that'll help with these competitive sure. advantages, because I'm looking at my notes and I've, I forgot to mention a couple of things. So Skechers used to be purely a domestic wholesale uh, type of thing. They didn't have any stores, um, so they would ship their shoes to, you know, a quarter before, you know, the quarter that they were selling them in. And what they found was the margins weren't as good, um, and even though these were popular. So when I say domestic wholesale, that was they would ship it to a retailer like JCPenney's, Walmart, um, Target, you know, yep. insert name of some retailer here. Yep. Finish line. Or <coughs> yeah, fi- uh, finish line. And then what they started doing is they, st- in the last six or seven years, they've started opening their own retail stores. Mm-hmm. So to give you an idea, the gross margin, which is the price at, you know, at checkout, how much money does Skechers keep? For domestic wholesale is about 37%. For their retail stores, it's about 57%. And their international wholesale is about 48%. So it's a much higher margin in these international markets and in their own retail stores. Also, those those markets, the international and retail stores, are growing a lot faster. Now, part of the reason for that is they are able to adapt to trends much quicker in these markets uh, by, by having retail stores. You buy something wholesale, uh, you have to buy it a quarter in advance. You buy it retail, uh, you know, sell it at your own retail store, and you can, you know, change in, you know, a month time time frame from the yeah. time you order shoes to the time it hits the, you know, the store. So, and and to give you an idea, just to finish this point, um, in 2017, which is, you know, we're nine months into 2018's uh, fiscal year, you know, about three billion of their. Uh, Four billion, four point two billion in sales came from the international wholesale and retail market, and that number, those numbers are growing at about twenty to twenty-five percent a year. Um, and the domestic wholesale is is flat. So, international is growing and is is where all of their growth really is occurring, which is, I think, a lot of, is frustrating a lot of people in the, you know, in one Wall Street because they focus solely on the U.S. market. But China and the the rest of the world, the other 169 countries they're in, is where growth is happening. So, <clears throat> now that we've laid that out, yep. Competitive advantages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, does do they have a moat? Well, I think this is a little bit harder to um, say that it's not necessarily the strongest moat, but they have a brand moat, 
right? And I think when, when we say brand moat, I think they have a loyal customer base in the older demographics, in the younger demographics. And I think in the international markets, they have, um, they have a premium brand that kind of attracts people to their thing. And they also have this, um, uh, cultural, uh, interest in you know in south korea that's disseminating to the rest of uh, east asia right mm-hmm. uh so i think that's that's a, a big part of their of their brand is it's very recognizable in that in where they're growing fastest yeah. right yeah um so uh you know i i think that's probably their big their moat yeah it's interesting i think i mean sketchers you know, people, most, most people who are listening to the podcast, you know, they're from the U.S. and a few from outside the country. But sketchers in the U.S., at least in our demographic, you know, in the 20s and 30s and 40s, you know, it's not really recognizable as a brand, as a premier branded shoes. And so when you say, oh, sketchers, you know, brand is one of their competitive advantage, it might not resonate with them. Yep. But uh, the fact of the matter is, over there in Asia or outside of the U.S., it really resonates with a lot of people, the entire demographic from, you know, zero to hundred, wherever the age, age wise right. here, you know, it might, like we said earlier, it might not resonate with, with, you know, people in their 20 to thirties, but it does resonate with, you know, people, uh, people a little bit older or younger. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a brand competitive advantage. And certainly, uh, we talked about this before in competitive, when we talked about competitive advantage in an episode, brand, you know, brand is certainly brand competitive advantage is certainly a, a non, you know, non-trivial competitive advantage that a lot of a lot of companies really ride on. Right. Yeah. Um, the only thing, other thing that I would say from a moat standpoint is I don't think they have any sort of switching cost. I mean, anybody can go and buy shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, the next pair of shoes can be something <laughs> totally different. Right. But they do have somewhat of a low cost advantage in that um, they're offering a premium product at a lower price point. And they're selling that premium product. So the same shoes that you're selling in Korea are selling here, but they're selling it at a higher relative price point. Um, and that, that has something to do with you know tariffs and things like that. But international wholesale um, has a higher margin, gross margin, 48% versus 38% for uh, domestic wholesale. Um, most of those stuff is being made in Southeast Asia, uh, whether it's in China or Vietnam. And then their retail stores are much higher margin for them. Mm-hmm. So they are able to capture more dollars yeah. for every shoe that they sell. Yeah. And that trickles down to the bottom line. Yeah. So I think that's an important, you know, component to this is that um that they're they're a low cost provider in that they they are doing it from they're not manufacturing it but from from once they take shipment of it, it's essentially they're c- controlling that entire supply chain. Yeah. down to the customer. Yeah. I want to mention a couple points there. Uh, one is, you know, we talk, you talked about this earlier. When we talk about competitive advantage and we talk about companies that can produce things at, at a low, at a low cost, at the lowest cost, perhaps. Yeah. When you have that moat, more often than not, companies that have that moat is the most efficiently ran. Yes. And you talked about that earlier. And so this is, this is one of those companies that, you know, they're really trimming off all that fat. Yeah. And getting it down to the minimum, bare minimum, right? So, so that they're able to provide product at the lowest price point, right? And and to that end, they're able to capture data on their customers to know what is the trended trended shoes, and then make that available. So when they find something is hot in South Korea, 
they order a bunch more and start shipping it to China and to you know uh, the rest of Southeast Asia. So it's a it's a really important part of this is that they have to know their customer, know it well. You know, so they have a joint venture that they I think they purchased. Um, it, it, it may have been a subsidiary or joint venture that they had in South Korea they that purchased, they purchased yeah, them. 2016. Yeah, in 2016. Yeah. And that allowed them to capture more information yeah. about their customers and do more stuff with yeah. it. So what I would say is that their moat really, to me, is is a brand moat. You know, that, that brand loyalty has, has some... It's not an unassailable moat, but it is it is a moat. Um, uh, and yeah. then and then this low-cost provider, the retail stores provide them something that a traditional domestic wholesaler would not necessarily have. Yeah. So, and um, one thing that you you mentioned but you glossed over is the fact that they don't actually do their manufacturing themselves. Yeah. So there are factories, outsourced third-party factories in China and Vietnam. Those are the two places they go to manufacture shoes. Right. And they basically produce all of Skechers' shoes. Yeah. So if you find Skechers' shoes, they're going to be either made in China or Vietnam. Right. And after that, after that value chain, after that manufacturing portion of it, like Bahari said, they control most. You know, they control distribution, warehousing, selling, etc. Yeah, and, and to to some of their distribution centers are automated, fully automated. So they're packaging and shipping things. You know, with minimal you know labor you know force to do that mm. now interestingly in china they haven't built their distribution center yet and so sometimes they are you know shipping orders you know um by hand oh. right so packaging on by hand so they've talked about this on singles day you know they have you know so for those of you who don't know china singles day is like it's not the equivalent of black friday but it's one of the biggest days of the year for selling stuff and it was kind of largely invented by alibaba but you know their <clears throat> their number of pairs sold and on singles day now exceeds you know their entire quarters in you know in, in like four or five years ago in China. So the brand has caught on; people are noticing it, uh, and you know it's it's very popular in China now, uh, and it's it's growing really uh, rapidly. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, you know to me, I think the the supplier, you know. To you know, once they receive shipment and all the way to the customer, they basically know uh, the entire supply chain there. So it's a it's an interesting you know thing to help reduce their costs. Yeah, you talked about the you talked about the China distribution center. We'll talk about that uh, more in a bit when we talk about the relationships. But um, that's an important point we we need to remember to bring up. So uh, that's so that's that's kind of summarizes competitive advantage and the durability of the competitive advantage. Um, so with with you know given that what do you think is the long term prospect for this company? Well, so I think um you know Southeast Asia is growing. They have an enormous population. So if you include China in East Asia, Southeast Asia, I mean there's over 2 billion people there. Mm-hmm. Um and then you include India in that and there's almost 3 fifths of the world's population. So <laughs> um uh, probably more um uh so with India, they're fairly early on. China is more of an established market. Um, so I, I think they have a long runway ahead of them in terms of expanding sales in China, yeah. India, Southeast Asia. South America is another place that's somewhat populous mm-hmm. and has, uh, you know, uh, has a, you know, a growing presence as well. Yeah. I think the United States is, you know, probably not going to sell 
as many pairs of shoes, especially in the wholesale market. But I think their own retail stores are going to continue to to do very well. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you look at the price point in the U.S., you know, for a hundred dollar shoes in at Nike, you can get two pairs of shoes at Skechers yeah. or three pairs of shoes at Skechers. So it it becomes a lot a different conversation. And when you're talking about older people, you know, who are buying uh, you know Skechers or young you know kids. They're going out there to buy this the shoes, um, you know. They they can afford more. You know, it it goes a lot further. So, I, you know, I, I think, and they're still making a good you know deal of money off of that yeah. sale. So, I, I think they're going to continue to grow in those in those specific niche areas. Um, you know, and so they're not a they're not an at uh, you know a, a athletic brand like Under Armour or Adidas or Nike, but. When it comes to casual work shoes, those kind of things, they're going to be, you know, very popular. Yeah. So a lot of it, I mean, you know, obviously you talked about the retail, domestic retail as a growth engine, but a lot of the growth engine for Skechers is going to come from international sales, whether yes. wholesale or yeah, whatnot. But you know, a lot of it is riding on international sales, and we talked about you know East Asia as a source of source of growth there. But of course, we know that in China. And and many many other many you know, many other countries uh, out there, Asia, um, fakes the counterfeits are a big problem over there. Yeah. So when you talk about long term advantage, how does that play into effect here? Well, I think you know if you talk to, so I, I am certainly not an expert on mm-hmm. Chinese culture, but I, I think I have read articles about people in China see it as a badge of honor to actually own the real thing. And Skechers is not like if you're buying a Louis Vuitton bag, right, or whatever the Louis Vuitton sells. Yeah. I don't even know two thousand dollars, right? Yeah. But you can get the knockoff for fifty bucks, right? Skechers, the knockoff is not. There isn't enough margin, you know, difference that I think people would um, like. You're buying a pair of shoes for fifty bucks. Well, the knockoff is going to be twenty or thirty dollars. So there may be some people who are who are picking that over the the, the real deal, but I think for the most part, people are going to stick with the real deal because it's you know of that you know kind of cachet of owning the real thing. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I but I I don't know how to quantify it, yeah. and it doesn't seem to be really depressing the sales growth you yeah. know a, in China. So yeah. it's just growing fast. Yeah, it's interesting to see. I think it'd be interesting to see how this quarter uh, results come out and, yeah. and, and, and moving forward, how that plays into effect here. All right. Um, the next bullet point, does the company require a lot of capital investment reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further reinvestments? <clears throat> well, so one thing to note about this company is the last couple of years, have they've been spending a lot of money to build out the distribution, yeah. the, the stores, the, you know, it, it takes money to sell internationally, right? It's not like software, right? Where software, you have a server and anybody can access the server all over the world. And it's just, you know, how, how fast, you know, can you process transactions, right? Yep. When, you, when you're trying to sell physical goods, you have to have physical presence somewhere to, to do it. So the cheapest way to do that is obviously if you don't have the capital is to do a wholesale kind of model. Mm-hmm. Well, so they're they're actually finding that the wholesale model doesn't have the same returns yeah. as, you know, joint ventures or these other things, yeah. and and in some countries it's you know political you know in China it's it's not 
feasible to own a hundred percent of that business, right? So they they own a you know joint venture uh, that they own less than fifty percent of. So you know they're but they're they're investing in those areas to you know to grow money and things like that. And so right now the operating margins are being depressed. What they said in their Q three uh, earnings call was that even though those are depressed now. They're seeing that they were spending money just to main, you know, if they see areas of growth, they will continue to invest, yeah. which disappointed a lot of investors because they were expecting the leverage up of operating margins. So I think now we're seeing that the China is slowing down economically. They're going to pull back on their investment, and I think they're going to see a lot, lot of, lot more um, expansion in the operating margins in the next, you know, year or so um, as they stop, you know, investing in those. So. Um, you know, remember that, you know, if you don't remember what operating margins are, you, you know, you can go back to our ratios, um, uh, talk, but effectively operating margins are after you've sold the good, you know, what is the cost of the item? Operating margins are almost everything else. It's the cost of, you know, distribution center. It's the cost of labor. It's the cost of shipping and, you know, uh, uh, no shipping technically is under the cost of goods sold, but it's the, uh, it's the maintenance of all that infrastructure that is required to actually sell these things. So the leases that you have to pay for, um, uh, you know, for the uh, the retail stores, that kind of stuff. Yep. So <clears throat> those distribution channels have now been paid for. Now the sales they don't have to invest as much into them. So we'll see a, a spike in that operating margin. Yeah. So so right now it's a little hard to tell, but I think that because it, their sales have not peaked yet or they are slowing down a little bit i think you're going to see them pull back on the investment side and you'll yeah. see better returns yeah i think it's also interesting if you look at the cash flow statement and then the management came out right you know in 10k they came out and said the maintenance capital and i know how you assumed a little bit higher than this but maintenance capital all ongoing capital expenditure expenditure is between 45 to 50 million in yeah. between but if you look at that and look at the, their entire capex uh, in 2017, for example, it was about 136. Mm-hmm. So imagine the delta between 50, let's say 50, and then 100, 136. The additional 80 is really going into the growth part of it right. instead of the maintenance part of it. Yeah. And that's been the case for about last for about three years so far. So yeah. 2015, 2016, 2017, they've been investing heavily. Right. So not only the 50 million for maintenance capital. But also additional fifty to eighty million yeah. in terms of investing into the business so that the business can grow in, in, in distribution centers and retail stores and yep. and all the other things. So it's interesting to see the cash flow statement and how it compares to what they're talking about. Okay, so let's move on to the next bullet point. And that is does the business have favorable relationships with the following customers, suppliers, employees? And lastly, regulators slash community. So customers, I think, I, I don't see any... Red flags? Red flags there. I mean, they're not doing Gillette ads, you know, <laughs> things like that, where they're trying to you know, spice up sales by yeah. saying something controversial. They're, you know, they're a fairly standard type of, you know, advertising. I don't see, you know, especially because their demographic is much older, mm-hmm. their ads are d- going to be targeted towards people you know, that are less, they don't want to see controversy that, you know, that'll, they'll just drop the brand. Um, I don't see any problem. Uh, their suppliers come 60% of their shoes are made in China. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there could be a potential problem there with the trade war. Um, yeah. 
but you know they also have a, the other 40 or so percent comes from Southeast Asia so Vietnam yeah. so I think they it would take them time to shift distribution to other places yeah. um, but I think it, it's possible um, and I don't see any problems with their employees uh, or regulatory issues um, you know so for the most part I, I'm not too concerned about any of those things yeah I, I want to mention this um, you know when it comes to factory when it comes to sourcing about five five manufacturers of of sketchers they basically cover 50 percent of the total purchase yeah so they have to rely on five uh, manufacturers for their 50 percent of their for their inventory for their right. uh, inventory how do you wrap your head around this well you know, so they actually had a problem with one one of their manufacturers like two or three years ago where it was a they had a fire and it knocked out you know some uh, distribution they lost some inventory and they took a write down you know what would be I I I don't really pay attention a whole lot to that because anything that happens in that sense is a quarter problem, not a long term issue, right? And especially with suppliers like this, it's it's less of a problem that you know they're making a commodity product in some ways. You know, they're, you're making shoes. Lots of different people can do that, mm-hmm. and they can find other people to do that without much of an issue. If they were making something a lot more technical, I would be a lot more concerned. Like if you were a hard drive manufacturer, uh, when there was a tsunami that hit Thailand, it really knocked out everybody, you know, the entire supply chain for, you know, hard drives. So, but shoes doesn't have that same problem, right? There's no special good that couldn't be made elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, they will find other places to, to have that made. So it's interesting. You're saying it's a quarterly problem. So you think it'll be resolved within, you know within a quarter in yeah. terms of shifting maybe you know, two quarters you know yeah. be leaning about that yeah now if, if one of their suppliers was like 50 percent of their sales i'd be a little more worried but mm. one maybe you know if they're about 10 percent, i mean it it may dent a little bit but yeah. not not that bad so. yeah just to give you guys uh, some, some 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 statistics here one factory so five manufacturers cover about uh, 47, 47.5%, about 50%. And there's one factory that covers 17%. So that's a pretty sizable chunk of the of the inventory, of the manufacturing capacity. Um, but So that's that. Um, and then employees are happy. You talked about that. And the regulators, communities. You know, China, obviously, it's a heavily, heavily regulated industry. I, I worry less about regulatory issues in a retail business because, I mean, that's, you know, there's always some small risk, but, you know, that that's not, they're a shoe company. It's not going to derail right. a multi-billion dollar company like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and then the last bullet point we want to cover, so that's that's relationships which we which talked about. And the last bullet point is, is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? Very so, important question here. Yeah, so this is probably the most important question, right? Yeah. And if you look at it from a return on equity perspective, um, if you average out their net income over the last few years, because 2017 had a weird, you know, uh, they took a tax hit. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, because they were required to by the way the law yeah. was set up. So in the U.S., and they're based in the U.S. So return on equity was about 15.99%. And that's... It has been much lower yeah. in the past. Um, it is ramping up as they use more retail stores. So yeah. I think you're seeing a better return on their investing. Um, if you 
do it on a return on capital employed basis. So that is total assets. So it's operating margin, operating profit, EBIT, divided by the assets minus excess cash minus current liabilities. Um, that number is is closer to 27% return on excess cash. And if you say no excess cash, it's about 17.9%. So those numbers are very good. You know, a shoe, shoe company uh, like this, um, I'm, I'm, you know, fairly happy with that kind of number. Um, if you, and interestingly enough, over the last five years, they've grown at that number about 17%. So I, I don't know how sustainable that is, um, you know, just because they're getting to a larger size. Um, but that, that tells you, you know, that their, their returns are, uh, especially now that they're going to start scaling back on the investing side, I think they're going to be doing very well on the, uh, return on, uh, investment. So um, I think they're going to be more and more profitable as, as time goes on yeah. and, and as these things kind of investments pay off. Yeah. So. yeah. It was interesting because I looked at, and we talked about this before we started the podcast. I looked at Nike yesterday and, you know, return on, not return on equity, but I, re- I looked at their gross margin and operating margin. It's interesting because even though their size is so big, I was trying to compare Skechers and Nike yep. and how that compares in terms of gross margin and EBIT operating margin. The Nike, you know, they're they're doing like 30 30 plus billion in sales. So it's you know, a gigantic company compared to, you know, four year. Mm-hmm. Um even though they're big, they're able to maintain that that gross margin uh of I think it was like 40 something percent or 50 something percent. So it's relatively high and I think you know, if the if Skechers is in the in this path of growing their uh, return on equity and is able to maintain this, um, you know, this margin, uh, when it, or, uh, be it uh, be it operating margin or gross margin, I think they're able to grow at that sustainable level. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's it uh, f- for the business aspect of Skechers. Um, again, we're following the value investor checklist, and if you don't have it in front of you. Uh, please do send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org to get a copy of it. So that's it in the business aspect. Um, do you want to add anything else before we close out? Uh, not not, not today. We'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more um, after we finish up with Skechers um, just to kind of give an overview. And, you know, I'll, if you're give us some feedback, if you're, you know, send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org. Yep. See if you like this format and let us know what you think yeah yeah exactly we would be happy to have your feedback okay so that that is it the part one of sketchers um in part two we will talk about its financials we'll talk about its management and lastly we will talk about its valuation so thank you all for joining us this was episode 35 see you on the next episode